If you have your Bible, turn to the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. We'll be spending most of our time there this morning. Before uh, we study the book, let's go before the throne. Father, we come into your presence sinful, uncomfortable, worried, lonely, and we almost didn't come. Father, you're holy, and in your presence, we know we're not. Father, you're infinite, and we feel so small. Father, in your presence, we remember that you're eternal, and we die one out of one. Father, in your presence, we see the awesomeness of who you are, your sovereignty and your power, eternal and infinite, and we want to run. But we're here. We're here because nobody will love us the way you do. Nobody will forgive us and make us clean the way you do. And no one will deliver on the promises except you. Father, you know every person in this place. You know the stuff that's hard, the road that's long, the nights that are sometimes without sleep, the secrets we can't share, the sins we can't fix. And we're here by invitation clothed in the righteousness of Christ and deeply loved. Meet us. May we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet and forgive the one who teaches his sins because there are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever, you ever had a Bible verse grab you and won't let you go? I've been living there for weeks. In fact, this sermon this morning is only one of three teaching sermons on this particular subject, and I'm doing it because I can't shake it. This morning we're going to talk about why can't we all get along. Let me read you the verse. Maybe it'll bother you too. It's from 1 Corinthians, it's the first chapter, and it's the 10th verse, where Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. It started a few weeks ago when I was invited to Malone University to debate Shane Claiborne. They wanted us to debate the subject of civil disobedience, and I'm the only conservative they know who's reasonably civil. It was an uncomfortable time, frankly. It's in Ohio. It was cold. 
and that bothered me. But there was, there was more than, no, not that. I talked for a living. I acquitted myself quite well, frankly. I loved to debate. And if I didn't love Shane so much, I would have cut off his legs. But I kind of liked Shane. We had an interview before, and he said that we were talking about Eric Metaxas' book on Bonhoeffer. And he said that he thought Bonhoeffer was wrong. He should not have participated in the effort to assassinate Hitler. And I said on the air, Shane, if everybody agreed with you, we would be conducting this interview in German. Well, the debate went fine. He won some, and I, but that isn't what bothered me. There were other things. Malone University's a Quaker institution, and I carry a gun. Shane's a pacifist. So if you ever hear anybody at Malone or Shane shot anybody, it's a lie. If you hear I did, you probably ought to check. And then, uh, and then there were a thousand, maybe a couple of thousand students there. They're all young. They haven't been mugged yet. So they're as wacko liberal as Shane is. And then Shane's got dreadlocks down to his navel, and I'm follically challenged. And, and so there was a degree of, um, of hair envy going on there. So it was not my most comfortable place. But the thing that was really disconcerting was the realization that Shane and I don't agree on anything but Jesus. I liked his book, Irresistible Revolution. I've given money. We helped him rebuild his uh, ministry building in Philadelphia at the single way. But, but frankly, we don't agree about anything, and I love him. And then I thought about others that I don't like as much. And I realized how it is important in this culture that we as Christians learn to love one another. And so if you're not a believer, we're glad you're here this morning. We're a screwed up bunch. If I were you, I'd leave before I got hurt. But, but you're welcome to stay, and you can say anything you want to say in this place. But this morning, this is for people who follow Jesus, who know what that means, and who want to see God do something in their family and in their nation and in their hearts. Let me tell you why this is so important. You know why your kid doesn't give a rip about the church? It's because you don't like your brothers and sisters in church. Do you know why we don't have a revival in America? No, it's not because we're not committed enough. It's not because we don't pray enough. It's not because we're not religious enough. The reason we don't have revival in America, another awakening, according to Jesus... They will know we're Christians by our love. A new commandment I give to you. I pray that they all be one that the world might believe. And so as we become more balkanized, as God keeps raising up people like Shane Claiborne, as we become more divided in our politics and even our theological views and our denominational connections, if we don't learn 
to love each other, support each other, and stand together, then our nation, our family, our church will be bereft of awakening. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that, and that's, and I don't like it very much. So I want you to think of somebody you don't like. We're going to deal with you and that person. If you're a Republican, I want you to think of Obama. <laughs> and if you're a Democrat, I want you to think of W. I want you to think of Bush. I want you to think of the theology that drives you nuts and the Christians you wish would shut up about Jesus because they're ruining our witness. If you're really an uptight Christian, think of those Christians who have blown it publicly and brought shame on the name of Christ. If you're a loose Christian, think of the Pharisees who are so uptight and judgmental. I don't care. If, you, if you're like me, you've got a list. <laughs> and if you don't think of anybody, this isn't for you. I went to visit Chuck Green. He's the founder of Orangewood Presbyterian right before his last Sunday in that church. And I knew he was going through a hard time. It was on Friday, and I said, you went into his study, and I said, Chuck, it's going to be hard on Sunday, isn't it? He said, you have no idea. And he said, I'll look out, and I'll see those people that I love, the babies I baptized, and then I, you know, he was there for 500 years. People I married. The secrets are in. He said, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And I said, well, God sent me to help. Think of three of them who just drive you nuts. Think of the ones who tick you off, and you'll get through Sunday, and you'll rise up and call me blessed. He said, Steve, and I think he was shocked. Steve, I'm a pastor. I love these people. I can't think of people like that. And I said, okay, you're on your own. And I got up and walked for the door. Just as I got to the door, he said, hey, Steve. He said, I just thought of three. <laughs> <laughs> think of that person. Think of the one you just don't want to spend any time with unless you have to. Think, and they may not be in this church. They may be in another place. Maybe a family member, maybe somebody with whom you're involved at work. I want you to put that in your mind because we're going to be talking about you and that person. Why can't we get along? Well, we know how to get along. Go along. You know what I'm going to do this summer? I'm going on a 10-day Disney cruise with my grandchildren and our daughters and our family. I'd rather go to hell. <laughs> they, they, uh, our daughters gave us a choice between having a gigantic celebration or going on a cruise with the grandchildren and them. Have you read Dante's Degrees of Hell? Well, this, I, I think, though I'm not sure, I'd rather go on the cruise. But if you think I'm looking forward to that, you're out of your mind. And if you think I'm not going, you're out of your mind. I've smiled. 
I've looked at the pictures of that stupid mouse. We're going to have to have dinner with them. Ten days, where am I going to go? I can't walk on water. What, what am I going to do? They probably have no smoking signs. I won't even be able to smoke my pipe. But I could, and they would throw me off. That would be a good thing. I am thought of that. But you know something? I value my family, and so I'm going to go along, and I'm going to, I'm going to be nicer. And I probably will enjoy the turn. It'll probably be a lot laughter. It'll probably be, it'll probably be okay, but maybe not. But I know how to get along in my family. Just go along. So the title of this sermon ought to be a bit longer. How, why can't we get along without giving up our convictions? Why can't we get along without lying? How can we get along without pretending to be something that we're not? We're different. Thank God. We have different views. We see things differently. We like things differently. How in the world are we going to get along? Well, I want you to listen to what Paul says, and then we're going to study the text. I'm reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I'm going to start at the second chapter and the first verse, one of the pinnacles of Scripture. Magnificent text. We're going to look at it a little bit different. Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, I move the previous question. How, how do you get along without losing your convictions? Well, first, it begins in the mind. Please note as you read through those verses that four times the Apostle Paul uses the word mind. And the word mind means a couple of things, and Paul means both of those things. The first is cerebral. It's what you think. It's the doctrines you believe. It's the presuppositions you hold. It's the things by which you gauge your life. It is the thinking mind that refuses to be shallow. I'll tell you something. I'm the most opinionated friend you've got. 
I really am. I'm a five-point Calvinist. I'm not sure you're saved if you're not reformed. But when you get to the verities and you go deep, I'm, I'm really clinging to that. When we say the Apostles' Creed and I believe and then we sing it, I believe every word of it. I believe every word of the Bible is true. I believe that God entered time and space, and it is the only source of meaning in a meaningless world. I believe he walked our dirty roads and hung on our dirty cross. I believe a dead man got up and walked, and I believe he's coming back to clean up the mess, and I came there the hard way. I graduated from a graduate school of theology, just this side of wacko liberal. And I want you to know I clawed my way here. I worked my way here. I read my way here. I fought my way here. And I am never going to change. I'm too old and I'm right. But that's not me. We, look, if you don't have convictions, get some. People are always saying, I say, what, what's your denomination? Oh, I'm just a Christian. And sometimes I say that means you don't have any convictions. Get some convictions. Learn what you believe and hold on to it. That's not ever going to divide us if it's about Jesus and it's true. And so that's not the, but there's a second meaning of mine that Paul is talking about here. And it has to do with feeling. Feeling when your mind gets down lower and into what you feel and how you define yourself. What's that? Well, you reference that in Romans 12, where Paul says we're to present our bodies. I appeal to you by the mercies. I, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he says we're to be renewed in our minds. Sacrifice to who? Jesus. What is it to have the same mind? It's speaking truth in front of Jesus. As we raise our kids, um, I think I've told you this, we intentionally every year took away rules so that when they became seniors in high school, they had no rules. They had no curfew. They wore what they wanted to wear. And, uh, and it turned out pretty good because they were going to go off to college and we didn't want them to fall apart and us not be there. So we wanted to to really mess it up while we were there. And it worked. It was a good move. Looking back on it, it seemed crazy, but looking back on it, we did a good thing. And that started, that started when they were reading books we didn't want them to read and going, wanting to go to movies we didn't want them to go to and listening to music we didn't want them to listen to. And we decided, you know, we can fight this battle forever. We can do this differently. And so we said, you can read what you want. You can think what you want to think. You can listen to what you want to listen. And you can watch what you want to watch as long as you discuss it with us. Is that wise or what? That's what Jesus gets to. You can believe what you want to believe and kick whomever you want to kick as long as you do it in his presence. You remember, you remember when, when, uh, when Jesus was at his trial and there was a garden and Jesus told Peter that Peter was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed? And Peter, pompous Peter, 
<laughs> said, not me, babe. These other turkeys will because they're cowards, but I'm a man. I'll stand with you no matter. I mean, you can depend on me to hold the rope because I'm Peter. And then it started turning south. And Peter gets a little bit nervous and so quietly denies Jesus. By the third time, he cusses and he knows how to curse. The Gospels tell us he spoke with a curse and said, I do not know the man. And then Luke, and he's the only Gospel writer who tells us this. I don't know where he got it. Maybe he got it from Peter. But he says at that very moment when Peter said, blankety blank blank, I don't know the stupid man. Peter looked across the garden court and Jesus was standing there and heard every word. And their eyes met. Maybe if Peter told Luke, the physician, Peter said, you have no idea what I felt. And then all the gospel writers say, Peter went out and wept. I would have wept too. I maybe, I maybe would have taken my life. And so using that as a metaphor, as an image of how we're to live out our lives with other Christians, we do everything before the Jesus before whom all of us stand. As long as he's looking, you can say anything. That softens me. That makes me look at some people that I didn't look at too pleasantly before, differently. It helps me in some of the things that I say. And then when you move to the second point, you begin to see some real progress. It begins in the mind, and then it's defined by the heart. Listen, if you will, as I read verse 1 through 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love. I've said this a thousand times, but I'm going to say it again because you need to hear it a thousand times. And I need to hear it a thousand times. Love is not given in a response to your goodness. Love cannot manifest itself ever in response to you being nice. Love can never show itself when you are obedient. That's reward. The only way you can experience love is when you're unlovable. That's... That's why, you ought to see some of the letters I get. That's why I pray that some of those people get drunk in public, confess all of their sins and their secrets. It would be a severe mercy and a gentilizing impact on the body of Christ. In fact, we ought to all adjourn from this place, get plastered, confess our sins to one another, come back in here and see revival. It's the only way to happen. And so uh, we interviewed Wayne Gordon on Friday on our talk show. He's written a book, and the title of it uh, is Who's My Neighbor? Lessons Learned from a Man Left Dead by the Side of the Road. I liked him. I liked what he said. And by the way, the Samaritan was theologically incorrect. 
He lived in a place of heretics. He was hated by the true Jews. Jesus picked that as the hero of Samaria. Well, anyways, where do you think he got? Uh, where do you think he got the gasoline to do what he did uh, to that man? And then we discussed it, and we all agreed that the man. The rest of the story is that two weeks before that man was mugged too, on the same road, left for dead too. And somebody, when he didn't deserve it, picked him up, bound up his wounds, took him to the hotel and paid his bills. And that's the only way you can fix wounds when you've been wounded and healed. There's a direct correlation, I believe, uh, between the doctrine of radical and pervasive depravity. That would be you. That would be me. I have no illusions about you. I'm a cynical old preacher, and I've been doing this longer than most of you have been alive. I have no illusions about you. I know everybody here has a secret. I know. I know. We're very human. We're very needy, and we're very sinful. And insofar as we get that, not just in our head, but here, and run to Jesus because nobody else will love somebody who smells that bad. And run to Jesus, then we're never going to love each other. And we're never going to love Democrats and Republicans and sociologists like Tony Campolo because the key is to be loved so you can love and you can love to the degree to which you have been loved. It starts in the mind. Don't forget that. But then it drops into the heart, and it has to do with love. Then, thirdly, if you're feeling guilty, good. I've been feeling guilty for the last three weeks. It's enhanced by actions. Look, if you will, at the, uh, at the fourth verse. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Why do you think Paul put that there? He put it there because he wanted to say, do something. For God's sake, do something with somebody you don't like. I love Orlando, and I love where we live now, but I sometimes miss Miami. Do you, Karen? I miss my gun. You don't. I think I'm the only one in the world. I miss my gun. I miss the never knowing whether you're going to get killed or not. Miami is the most fragmented city in America. Let me tell you what happened in that place. I don't even know how it happened. Six pastors started meeting together for breakfast. And we didn't meet to study the Bible. We knew what the Bible said. We didn't need to do that. We didn't meet to pray. We didn't meet to be religious. We didn't meet to, to, to have some kind of organization. Just six of us. There were two Hispanics two African-Americans and two honkies like me. And we just had breakfast together and laughed, told jokes, had a great time. We thought, you know, this is so good. We ought to do this with some others. So after a year or so, we, we had a retreat and we got the place and we invited pastors from all over Miami to come to that. And there were a pile of, it may be 100, 150 pastors and, uh, and we laughed, and we had a great time. We had a, food was so good. We prayed together, and we told jokes. 
I, I remember when uh, the guy at First Presbyterian Church in Coral Gables stood up and said, I'm so glad I'm getting close to some of you Cubans. I've been drinking your coffee, and I have this overwhelming desire to toot my horn at everybody. And said, I've been late for every meeting since, and I'm sitting in the back thinking, I don't believe I'd have said that. And you know who was laughing the hardest? The Cubans. Another guy got up and said, you know, I'm so glad to get to know you. I'm starting to like watermelon. And I thought, oh, that's too far. I wouldn't go there. And the black guys got tickled, and they stood up and applauded. And I thought, we're almost there. And then we decided that we were going to worship together. And so uh, we'd meet at an Hispanic church. The white guy would preach, and the, and the African Americans would do the music. And then the next month, we'd rotate it to another church. Pretty soon, over 20,000 people in the most fragmented city in America were meeting together, and we had a We Are One rally. I'll never forget, man. I'm walking with the chief of police who's a brother, black brother holding onto my arm, and an Hispanic guy who just barely knows English. And we're heading up all this crowd of people, thousands walking through the city of Miami just to say we love each other and we're one. And it started by doing something. So you got somebody you can't stand, bake them a cake and then take a piece of it, both of you, and go feed somebody who's poor. If you... If you uh, if you have a friend who's too loose, you're not even sure is saved, but they bear the name of Christ. They just do everything wrong and they sin everywhere. Invite them to a bar. And then buy drinks for everybody in the bar. And then together pass out four spiritual laws. You got some charismatic, they don't do things decently and in order. Sheesh. Take some dancing lessons, okay? hard to teach a Calvinist to dance, but it's doable. And then invite them to the prom. You get the idea. Do something. Find If you don't like Roman Catholics, find a Roman Catholic and go to an abortion clinic together. Because our love, the prerequisite for revival in America, our love happens when we stand together, when we do stuff together. Then, then there's one final point, at least in this sermon. Starts in the head, drops to the heart, goes to the hands and feet, and then it is modeled and empowered by Jesus. Have this mind among you, which you have, not something you have to work for. You got it. Which you have in Christ Jesus. And then that magnificent who didn't count Equality with God, a thing to be grasped to himself, but emptied himself, whoa, and became a servant and died. I can't do that. You've seen that bumper sticker that said, Jesus loves you and I'm trying. That's more profound than the person who wrote it knew. You know, that's where we've been called. And if you've tried very hard, you know how very hard it is. <laughs> Unless you're living in denial. I don't. I, uh, you say, Steve, this sounds really nice, but you don't know what she did to me. 
You don't know what he said about me. You don't know what my business partner has done. You don't know how strongly I feel about politics. You don't understand the knife in my back. You don't get how hard it is. I can't do it. Thank God. The most powerful prayer you can pray is, God, I can't do this. And you can't. You really can't. I'm too weak and too sinful and too angry. And he's going to fix it. And he will for you too. They say that Lord Halifax, one time in England, was on a train and he was in a compartment with two very snooty ladies. And as soon as he came into the compartment, they moved over to get as far away from him as they could. I mean, they were, they were obviously not happy that this cretin was in the same compartment with them. And they wouldn't speak to him. They wouldn't look at him. They even said bad things to each other about him. And the train went through a very long, dark tunnel, so dark you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And so Lord Halifax began to kiss very loudly the back of his hand, even moaned a little bit. <laughs> and when they came out of the tunnel, he acted and looked out the window. But when it came time for him to get off at his, at his stop, he turned to the ladies. He said, I don't know which one of you I should thank, but I want to thank... <laughs> But I want to thank one of you for that very pleasant experience uh, in the tunnel back there. We live in a dark time. Hatred is rampant. We say things to brothers and sisters that we ought not say in the family. And nothing's going to happen in this church or in our family or in our nation until we kiss each other in the dark. And if you do, and you listen to what I taught you, you know that Jesus will be pleased. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And in case you didn't know, you can connect with Key Life on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.